This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 111. Hello and welcome to Dollars and Change on Sirius XM 111, Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Sandy Hunt. And I'm Cheryl Coolman. And we welcome you to this fantastic show we're going to be having. It's back to school season here at Penn and Wharton. A beautiful day on our campus and we're excited for a great show. Great. And we do a shout out to Nick who's moving today. Yes, one of our co- colleagues, Nick Ashburn, a, a familiar voice to all of you. The best radio voice, I think. <laughs> he of does. The whole, he really he puts us to shame. Um, he and his husband are moving today. So they're saying they're not moving. They're not leaving you. Don't worry, no, listeners. No. They're just moving somewhere else in Philadelphia. So just happy moving day. The corner. Exactly. We are going to start by welcoming Frank to the show. Frank Shankwitz, founder of the Make a Wish Foundation. Welcome to Dollars and Change. And thank you for inviting me. Oh, we're delighted to have you with us. Where are you giving us a call from today? From Prescott, Arizona, up in northern Arizona, up in the mountains north of Phoenix. Beautiful. And that's a time change. So a special special thanks to you for uh, waking up early and having your coffee with us and our listeners. Yeah, the sun's not even up here yet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I hope it's a strong cup of coffee because we've got some questions for you now. We're excited to talk Make-A-Wish obviously has, you know, a tremendous tenure as an organization. It's, It's a very ubiquitous brand. We we were just talking about a, a future guest on the show who's going to be a, a, talking about a social entrepreneur and how much one has pivoted in right. just a couple of years. But not to be overlooked is how hard it is to manage the growth and the change of a really substantial brand like Make-A-Wish, right. where right. it's even harder to pivot. <clears throat> so talk to us a little bit about what Make-A-Wish looks like in this era as an organization. Well, I, I can only give you some uh response to that because I'm not involved with the foundation at the uh, moment um, because of a possible conflict of interest with a movie that we're making about my life and about the foundation. Yes, I did see there's a movie coming out called Wish Man uh, yeah. about, about your life. Yeah. Who's playing you? I can't help but ask. Well, the, the young man is from Australia. His name is William Steele. Um, quite the star in Australia, but this will be his first American venture. Cool. So yeah. do you think he looks like you? Well, he's tall and good looking. So <laughs> yeah. yes. We can all flatter ourselves with the who would play me in a movie in a game. Yeah. But, um, but in answer to your original question about the foundation now, uh, the current president and CEO, David Williams, uh, which is in charge of the uh, national office, Make Wish America, which covers all the chapters in the United States and is also the international chapters uh, has been there, I think, about 13, 14 years now, has done an exceptional job of the uh, growth with the foundation. Yeah, so, um, so let's... And, and, and we just got a new figure recently that uh, just kind of staggers me back a little bit, is um, in the past 37 years, we're now at 415,000 wishes granted Whew. around the world. Uh, so, so talk to us a little bit about how... Help make a wish started. What was the, what was the incentive and the idea to say this? I can make this possible. Well, in a very condensed version, uh, in uh, 1980, I was a motorcycle officer with the Arizona Highway Patrol, and was introduced uh, by a U.S. Customs agent to a little boy named Chris, seven years old, who had terminal leukemia, and he had told his customs agent, "When I grow up, I want to be a Highway Patrol motorcycle officer, just like oh. my heroes." Punch and John oh, yeah? from the Chips. television show Chips. And 
and I, maybe a lot of listeners don't remember that. It was the adventure it's back. of two, yeah, two <laughs> doing a remake. Highway Patrol motorcycle officers. And um, it was very popular with the children. And he asked if our department, the Highway Patrol, could do anything special for this boy. And our commander said, yes, we can, and arranged for, with the permission of his doctor and his mother a special day for Chris, which involved picking him up at his hospital in our state police helicopter, fly him to our headquarters building, where they asked me to be standing by with my motorcycle. And we had trained initially with California Highway Patrol. Our equipment looked identical. Our uniforms were almost identical, except our eyes obviously said Arizona. I was going to say, I feel like they're very short shorts involved. <laughs> and when a helicopter landed, I had no idea what to expect. I knew this boy was just coming off IVs out of a hospital, and uh, this little red pair of sneakers jumped out of a helicopter, ran over to me, Nito, hi, I'm Chris, can I get on your motorcycle? Mm-hmm. And he had watched the TV show Chip so much that he knew every button and switch on that motorcycle. Really? <laughs> oh, this look is, at that. This is the siren, can I turn it on? These are the red lights, this is the flashes. What's in your saddlebag? It's the same as Ponchon as in his. And, and this little boy is laughing and having so much oh, fun. I'm man. looking at his mother and she has got tears in her eyes. And it confused me at first. Then it dawned on me, she's got her typical seven-year-old back. Yeah. He's running, jumping, and playing, having a good time. But just Chris became that day the first and only honorary Harbor Patrolman in the history of the Arizona Harbor Patrol, complete with his own badge that was assigned to him, a certificate making him the sworn officer. And we had the next day made a custom-made uniform for him. Oh, That's Thank wonderful. I, I yeah. warned Cheryl that I would be crying <laughs> during this segment, bit, so yes. it took us seven minutes. Um, yeah. That's great. So tell us, you know, these inspirational stories are often how, you know, ventures like this get spurred, and that's sort of when the, the going gets tough, right? Yeah. How do you take something that's so special and so custom and scale it? So talk to us about the early days of Make-A-Wish. What did that growth look like? How did you take this one experience and, you know, replicate the relative yeah, and, process. And, and unfortunately, Chris died a couple of days later, and he was buried in Illinois, a little town in Illinois. And, and my commander asked me if I would go back with another motor officer and give him a full police funeral, which we did. Oh. And uh, we were met by Illinois State Police, County City Police, and everybody just wanted to help this little boy as his wish had become true. Oh. And coming home, I just started thinking, how do, how do we do What are we going to do? Can we do that for other children? Let them make a wish. And make it happen and that's when the idea was born but to answer your question about it, it took about six months to get the foundation going because the people i talked to they said this will never work nobody's ever heard of anything like this that we can't get the money and it took the hardest thing was finding four other like people to be co-founders and put this together and obviously we did find the right people and it only took us like I said six months to get our 501c3 and six months later we granted our first official wish with a little boy going to Disneyland and he opened the door with Disney which opened the door for us getting uh, coverage all through the US and all of a sudden the donations just started flooding in hmm. how many children can we help can we do this for more and more that's wonderful. And then in 1983, we started uh, going with chapters throughout the United States. Okay, yeah. so that's a big organizational shift. So were those individual? And Sandy's been through some of that with her, her previous organization. <laughs> yes, exactly. Indeed. So did you incorporate, you know, individual 501c3s, or was it one national organization? Was no, it, it was individual. Now you're based in Pennsylvania. Is that correct? We, we are. are. 
Yes, and um, for instance, a fantastic chapter in Pennsylvania. I was back in Gettysburg for a big fundraiser a couple of years ago. Uh, but to answer your question, yes, every state has uh, individual chapters. In fact, some states are so large, like California, for instance, they have five chapters within the state, but each is a 501c3. But it is controlled by our Make-A-Wish America in Phoenix, Arizona, as well as the international uh, offices in Phoenix, Arizona, to make sure that everybody's doing the same thing. It's just like a McDonald's, make sure the hamburger's the same in Pennsylvania as it is in California. So it's basically an affiliate model where you control branding and and mission, and and they they go out and operate. Yeah. Right. So we'd be remiss not to ask as a business school here, you know, how something like this is funded. I read that the average cost of a wish is around 10 grand. And when you see these stories, it certainly seems worth it, right? These transformative experiences going to Disney, you know, the little kids, Batman adventure, all these great stories. How, you know, how do you fundraise? Who's, who's supporting this and how does that work? Well, the fundraising is from the, I, I like to call it the mom and pop dollars, the $5 here, the $10 there, people for their local chapter um, in uh, Pennsylvania, Gettysburg, a great example. They have a truck rally every year, and with a motorcycle rally also that brings in about twenty to thirty thousand dollars from sponsors. And then you've got your big corporate sponsors, your your Bank of America, your Macy's, their Christmas drive they do every year. You're obviously the Disney, uh, which has been millions and millions of dollars over the thirty-seven years. Yeah, and this is obviously one of the. Um, a kind of very much a feel-good organization. Um, do you ever run into challenges about, I mean, there's a lot of push around measuring impact, mm-hmm. right? And and your impact is very different. These are children who are going to die, right? And so you, it's not like you can transform their life forever just for that, well, that moment of happiness, though, right? Yeah, and we call it the power of wish. And uh, when you said children are going to die, our original mission, yes, it was for children with terminal illnesses. And we started finding something out about 10 years into the mission where children were all of a sudden surviving. We call it the power of a wish. Oh. They, they would go on a wish, they would come back and go in total remission, and the doctors could never explain it. And now with the uh, grace of God modern medicine, more and more of these children are surviving. So the mission now is to uh, grant a wish to children with life-threatening illnesses. Wow. Mm, And, you know, that's a very interesting, you know, concept. And you you see see these things about the power of prayer and meditation and positive thinking and and all these different things. So, you know, a a jolt of happiness and, you know, this bringing this gift to a child doesn't surprise me that it has a very material impact on them. Is that something you guys have have studied or looked into or are working with doctors on sort of yeah, understanding there was a study about 20 years ago when we first started <laughs> noticing this and again like i say the doctors could not explain it um and this was still before the the advancement of the medications that these children have now especially for the leukemias well leukemia was a death sentence 30 over right. 30 years ago right where now it's very manageable um we still lose children and an unofficial figure is about 70% of the children are now surviving these type of cancers that they get. You know, it's, a good, it's not good enough, but it's a, it's a good direction to be Great heading improvement, in. Exactly. Yeah, yes, and wouldn't it be great? In our original charter, we've got a escape clause in there hoping we go out of business. Good. Uh, That'd yeah. be great. We hope you do, too. We hope there is, <laughs> is, is no need. So can you tell us Make-A-Wish certainly has some of the most powerful storytelling um, of, of other organizations. Can you tell us, you know, what's your favorite 
And if, if your if your first wish experience that you shared was your favorite, then you can tell us your second. But what's been your you know your favorite most memorable wish experience? Oh wow, that's so hard with like I said, four hundred fifteen thousand children. Um, probably our, our first official wish. Um, again, a seven year old boy, uh, leukemia lived in a, a very depressed section of the Phoenix, Arizona area. In fact, still dirt floors outside, uh, no inside plumbing. Wow. Um, and um, he, I, I was his wish granter, as we call it. I went and interviewed him, and I was uh, still a motorcycle officer. I borrowed a patrol car to go out to so I could talk to him. And he sat in a patrol car with me, and his nickname was Bopsy. Um, and Bopsy, if there's something that you wanted or, or wanted to see or meet somebody or something to have, and he just thought real hard, and he said, I want to ride in a hot air balloon. Now, this is our first wish. And I thought, wow, I know some people that own a hot air balloon. That's not hard. He says, no, I want to be a fireman. And I looked at him. I said, a fireman? And I pointed to my highway patrol uniform, and he just started giggling. That broke the ice right there. And so thought, did he well, want to be a fireman in a hot air balloon? And, no, well, he, he's giving these different uh, Oh, uh, he had, he had many uh, wishes. Okay. Many wishes. Big, and, and I thought, big well, dreams. this would be my girlfriend at the time. Her brother was a Phoenix fireman. Then he said, no, I want to go to Disneyland. And I thought, oops, we had never really thought about this travel-type wish. So I went back to our board, and I was the first president and CEO, and I said, we're going to break the charter right now. The <laughs> charter, which is still in effect today, a child obviously gets one wish. I said, we're going to grant all three wishes because we're going to get so much press on this that uh, it's going to expose our foundation to what we're doing, which it did. He, he became... He rode in a hot air balloon. He became a Phoenix fireman. Again, these guys went out of their way to make a complete custom-made turnout suit for him for his size, seven years old, uh, riding on a fire truck. But going to Disney was a uh, harder thing. and it, it took forever to get Disney to agree. They had never heard of us. They didn't know who we were. All we wanted right, was dude, free Right, you just admission. started. Right, exactly. And uh, But like I said, he did open that door with Disney, and just the greatest thing after that, Disney became one of our biggest supporters over the years. So Bob, and the biggest thing he said, Bobsy, when we left, he said, "Can I bring you back a gift?" And I just teasing him and said, "I want Mickey Mouse's autograph." When he came back, he gave me the, one of the old programs they used to have at Disney, uh, signed to, to Pancho because that means Frank in Spanish, and that was my nickname. And to Pancho, uh, love Mickey Mouse. Aww. That's... And, I still, and I still got that program today. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Yeah. And I want to remind our listeners who you're hearing these heartwarming stories from. This is Frank Shankwitz. He's the founder of the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Um, I'm curious, you know, that's the most heartwarming. What's the most, what was the most difficult to pull off wish any kid ever asked for? There, um, <clears throat> wow, and again, that's a hard question. Um, and I'm going to relate to one in Arizona here, a, a young Navajo girl who lived on a Navajo reservation, uh, again, seven years old. I don't know why it's <laughs> that average is seven years old for these children. Um, she was in Phoenix Hospital, again, with leukemia. And this is only about five years ago. And it was the first time she had ever seen television. And she became uh, enhanced with the um, History Channel. Just loved it. And when we talked to her, she, her wish was to her wish granters, I want a television. And they thought, wow, how simple, That's that we can do that very easy. Well, I remind them they're on a reservation with uh, no power whatsoever, no, no electricity, ask, yeah. <laughs> no, no antennas. They didn't have television up there. 
So that simple wish became this uh, almost a $15,000 wish, but they pulled it off. By so getting, what did they have to do? The dishes, well, they, they got the satellite dish. They got the generators wow. for power. Um, they got the television, the uh, VCR, so she could have tapes and so on. And uh, she was the only girl on the reservation with a maybe 20-mile radius that had a television. Wow. Maybe her, maybe her secret wish was for, like, lots of friends. <laughs> she knew she knew if you were the only kid with, with the, the television, television. That, exactly. might get, that might get yeah. it done. Exactly. <clears throat> so, when you, you know, when you think about um, h- how you've grown, right, and gone from that one single, that first wish, to being an organization that has done hundreds of thousands of them and has chapters in different states... I'm sure there's a pretty steep learning curve around this. And, and you know, we often talk with um, entrepreneurs, people who are starting social enterprises or they're starting a nonprofit, and they're always wondering, how do you scale? How do you, how do you grow? How do you do more of the good stuff that you're wanting to do? What are two uh, points that you would have, that you would want to share with somebody who's sort of either thinking of starting something or has started something and is looking to, to make it grow? Surround yourself with people that are smarter than you. Mm-hmm. That's, That's what uh, I do. You've heard that before. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I learned that at college. It's probably the first time I heard that one in college. And uh, I, like I said, I was first president and CEO, but I'm a, I'm a police officer and I, I had to make a career choice. Am I going to keep doing this? I, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. And I don't know anything about running a nonprofit. We we obviously started it. We had an idea, made it work. But let's get let's start hiring because I never took a salary. Let's start hiring the people that are the experts in the nonprofit world, which our board just said yes, and that probably the best decision because look what the growth would get the professionals in there. Yeah, so really looking to those individuals who are more seasoned, you know, nonprofit professionals. Um, what What is one unexpected challenge you had in your growth, and how did you overcome it? Um, the unexpected challenge? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> staying awake. <laughs> <laughs> because, again, in, in, in the beginning years, um, just trying to get the money. And so I worked every part-time job I could. Fortunately, as a police officer, we have that opportunity. But I'd be working between my regular job and the off-duty jobs about 20 hours a day so we could get money to go into the foundation to get this going. Getting things started is not easy yeah. work. I think that's, you know, the the sort of unfortunate answer when folks ask, like, well, what will it take? Like, there's no, there are no shortcuts. There are no Usually shortcuts and a, a, lot of, a lot of hard work. And Sandy yeah, and I yeah. have, yeah, we've both been on the uh, the fundraising um, circuit and, and working on that and know how... How difficult and challenging it can be. Now, you had the uh, really the power of a, of a even when you weren't um, well known yet, so you didn't really have a brand, but you certainly had a power of a, a really compelling idea. The stories you can tell um, sell themselves mm-hmm. in many ways. And, and, and the big thing also is uh, talking to the media, just like we're talking to you right now. But uh, the media picked us up immediately because they had never heard of anything like this, and. Uh, especially uh, NBC Dateline did a feature show on us where within uh, a year we were going nationwide. Hey, who are these people? What's all this about? And a very positive piece because I always said, let's let's keep our books open. Let's have a total accountability and transparency about the foundation. Yeah, and did you have any brand, like sort of consistency issues as you grew? So that's something, you know, when organizations, 
get that national coverage mm-hmm. and they sort of mm-hmm. hit these, you know, jet jet packed growth curves. It becomes really difficult because you have chapters opening, I imagine, pretty quickly and just the scale of, you know, service delivery is really ramping up. You know, did you have any any times where you thought, whoa, the brand is really getting off base or someone's doing something that's not totally aligned with our mission? Um, yes, uh, exactly. And, and that's why they started what they called um, Make Wish America, where overseer of all the chapters or be the same thing like franchises, that they were all following the same mission, that they were not abusing the brand and like you said, brand protection is one of the important huge. things. We yeah. we, re- we realized we had to hire the attorney to uh, protect our brand because there were so many people that wanted to spin off or take advantage. Oh, I'm doing a fundraiser for Make-A-Wish, and they would use our brand and put the money in their pocket. Yep, yep. So uh, the uh, this kind of affiliate model that you have is really interesting because one of the things that, um, that I'd like to get some insight from you about is how do you um, share best practices and best ideas when somebody is, um, you know, they're separated by distance. And, you know, you had chapters before everyone is wired on Internet, et cetera. So, you know, as a, as a national organization, how do you make sure that you are both pushing down the right information but also pulling up the right information from your affiliates? Well, it's almost like a quality control mm-hmm. uh, area um, where, where we have the compliance section of the um, Make-Wish America um, going to all the chapters to make sure they are in compliance. And, and with inspections, actual physical inspections. And we'll, remember, when we started this, there was no such thing as Internet. Right, <laughs> was, right. That's what I'm yeah, saying, yeah. yeah it, it, good it, old days. Yeah, it was physically uh, going in and doing an audit. And uh, a lot of people, I mean, it took, uh, we went through, I don't know how many CEOs of different chapters and that. And like I always tell people, you got to kiss a lot of frogs before you find a prince. And uh, there's, they found those prints, and mm-hmm. so a lot of the people in the chapters, CEOs, have been there for 20 years or more now. Now, one of the things that we're going to be talking about with some of our other guests is times when they've pivoted. They've, they sort of have gone in one direction and then changed um, the, their approach or their product or something. What, what, kind, of, what, what kind of big change did uh, Make-A-Wish Foundation make in the, what, 40 years, nearly 40 yeah, years 30, that it's been yeah, around? Yeah, 37 years right now. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm very proud that the original charter that our, our board, our initial uh, co-founders have put together, are basically the same right now. Um, and like I say, the only change, big change, was for children with terminal illnesses, the children life-threatening illnesses, mm-hmm. so we could, we could touch more children. Right, right. But, but that is basically the only big change mm-hmm. uh, that came about in all these years, uh, I guess we did a great job on the charter <laughs> and bylaws. Absolutely. Um, we're coming into our last couple minutes here. And so I want to, I just think you, you guys have the chance to do some really fun celebrity storytelling. I'm thumbing through your Instagram channel right now and taking a look. I one need to admit that I'm old because I don't know who any of these young like stars are. And I think there's some like one direction type type individuals in here who I can't recognize. Um, but, you know, talk to us a little bit about, you know, the, the celebrity who, who you know sort of stands out in your mind as really being you know wildly supportive of the mission and has has gone above and beyond. Well, one of the celebrities that's so popular with the children current day is John Cena uh, from wrestling, and he, he has granted more wishes than any 
any celebrity. Uh, I can't even think of what the number is right now. I, I read over like 500 him. online. Yeah. yeah, which is just amazing. And then going back a few years uh, when he was still alive, Robin Williams. Ah, I can but, see that. Yeah. But, but you would never read about Robin Williams because he always says, it's between the child and the family and I, and I don't want the publicity. Ah. It's, it's strictly for the child. And he did just some amazing things. Uh, and I don't have the time to tell you. You don't have time. Some of the stories he was involved in. But just so many of these celebrities are, it's not just going in and saying, oh, hello, take a picture. Uh, they spend so much time with the children. Chuck Norris from the old Walker, Texas Ranger days. Um, he would spend a whole day with a child and, and try and get him involved in a background scene during the filming of his show. Oh, that's fun. That's fun. That is fun. Yeah. 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 Excellent. Well, it's inspiring stuff, and, and that's not news to anybody, but it's been fun hearing a little bit about the behind-the-scenes of Make-A-Wish and the stories that have, have helped to get to the household name it is today. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, again, thank you for inviting me. Excellent. We're going to take a short break now, but stay with us. This is Dollars and Change on Sirius XM 111. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.